Episode 135, Corey Chadwick. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki, and I'm so pumped for this episode today. I'm talking with Corey Chadwick, founder of The Mental Gym, about living our level 10 or our ideal life where we think, perform, and feel our very best. Corey is passionate about helping leaders and people-first workplaces move from good to great, and he'll be sharing six key areas that together create a level 10 experience. I'm so pumped. Let's dig in. Corey, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I love the fire you have for helping people get unstuck and live their tin. And I'm just so curious, and I want to tell everyone, where does this fire come from? This fire for me started young. I would say teenager, maybe before teenager, where that's that time where you start to feel like you've got potential and you don't know what to do with it. And you're trying to figure out life and you're trying to figure out your direction. And you just feel like there's this version of yourself that you want to become. And you feel like you've got it in you. I didn't know who that version of myself was. I didn't know how to get from here to there, but I knew I wanted to, and I knew it was important to me. And I just kind of assumed that we would kind of figure that out, or school would show me the way, or you know, the adults in my life would show me the way. But what really happened was we're kind of set up to live a six or seven. On a scale from one to 10, we're set up to live a six or seven. If you work hard and you do well and you follow the path, that's the kind of life that you live. And I was never okay with that. I always felt like there's more of myself to to give, there's more of myself I want to be. And it was really frustrating for me that I didn't know how to get from like my seven to my 10. And the more people that I've met in years and years, the more I realized that's a very common thing. We have this version of ourselves. We want to become this version of ourselves. don't know how to get there. And it can be one of the most frustrating, one of the most painful feelings to just kind of feel like I'm stuck at this one version of myself when I so badly want to be this, this kind of next level up version of myself. And I don't feel like anybody should have to stay stuck at their six or seven. We can all live our tens, but we just need to be kind of shown how to do it, how to get from here to there and how to be who we want to be. Another huge part of this for me is uh, I'm a dad. I got two beautiful little boys. And when I became a dad, I really felt this sense of responsibility to, I wanted the world to be a better place for my boys to grow up in. And I'm like, well, what can I do to help? And I realized that if we want a better world, a better world's going to come from better people. We need better people first to create a better world, which means a world of people living their five, sixes, and sevens isn't going to create the kind of world that we want. But a world full of people living their tens absolutely will. And when I say world, I'm talking obviously on a larger scale, but also within our organizations, our companies, our families, your teams, you name it. And so I'm thinking about this, we need a world of people living their tens. So how do we create that? How do we make that happen? My fire for helping people live their 10 is one about the individual, that, that personal need, that personal want to become that best version of yourself and realize that potential, to live with purpose, to have incredible relationships, to perform at your best, to be happy, to be fulfilled. It's your best life on your terms. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. So one is that personal need, that personal want for myself and for anybody who resonates. And the second one is, yeah, on, on a much bigger scale trying to make the world a better place full of people living their tents. So good. And I have a couple of questions to dig in on just from what you shared there. First is, I think it would be important for you to define what do you mean by living your 10? Think of it on a scale from one to 10. 10 would be your best life. One would be your worst life. Living your 10 starts with happiness and fulfillment. That's at the core of it all. Every single one of us in life wants to 
be fulfilled. We are looking to live supremely fulfilled lives. So it's being fulfilled. That happens through personal growth and realizing your potential. So consistent personal growth. A big part of that for us is your mental fitness. So optimizing your mental fitness. It's about having incredible, meaningful relationships. It's about living with purpose and having a positive impact on the people around you and your community. It's about realizing that potential and becoming that version of yourself that deep down you've always believed you could be. In a nutshell, it's living your best life as the best version of yourself and doing it your way on your terms. Talk about your experience with human awareness of our current state and just the average human being's current awareness of where they are. If the world sets us up to live at a six or a seven, what do you find when you're talking with people about this um, way of thinking and way of living? Like, What is the typical person's awareness of even the ability to live at a 10? It's not so much that they're aware of what a 10 is as much as they feel like something's off like something's missing. Life's good, but not as fulfilled as I want to be. I don't feel satisfied. I feel like, again, there's this version of myself I want to become. And so it's less an awareness of here's exactly where I want to be or what I want to do. And it's more of an awareness of, okay, I've hit this good spot, but now I feel like I've kind of plateaued or leveled off a little bit. And this this realization that you know the answers aren't all coming to you the way I assumed they would when I was 15 years old. And now you got to start figuring things out for yourself. One of the challenges with that is that we don't vocalize a lot of these things. We kind of keep them internalized because, and this was my experience, I didn't think anybody would get it. I thought I was the only one who felt this way. And I didn't want to feel guilty for wanting more out of life when life was good. But we do have that awareness in ourselves to know that, that we've got more of us that we want to become and more of us that we want to give. And we need to do something about that. Once we get into the conversation of what that looks like and what that means, then living your 10 creates a whole new set of awareness as well. So your work circulates around this term mental fitness. Can you tell us more about that? So think of mental fitness as a different take on mental health. A lot of time when we think about mental health, we think of like mental illness and mental fitness is the complete opposite direction of that. It's proactive wellness. It's moving from good to great. So it's for people who are highly functional, who are doing well in their lives but they want to be better. They want to grow. They want to be more of themselves. If you think about mental fitness, like the way you would think of physical fitness, there's not one super specific definition for it. There's different ways of working on your physical fitness. There's different types of gyms and different exercise models and different trainers. So our brand of mental fitness, we call it live your 10 mental fitness. It is very much about thinking and making decisions and feeling and performing as the very best version of yourself in all areas of your life. It's not specific to work, specific to home. It, it really covers all areas of your life. And what we do is we work out your mind. We challenge you to think. We push you to think differently and to explore different perspectives while building habits, mindset, and the practical tools, the essential tools for optimal mental fitness and living your time. And we do it just like a gym. We work out your mind for one hour once a week, very interactive discussion-based group classes. We have a curriculum that we follow and we, we build up that mind. I'd love to dive into two practice areas that I think in the world of uh, People First Leaders, which is our community that we cater to with Gut Plus Science and People Forward Network. There's two terms in your work that you're really expert in, mental toughness and emotional intelligence. And I think sometimes maybe there's not clarity or there's different perspective. And because this is your work, I want to break that down a little bit. So mental toughness, talk about how this has like shifted your life and dig into that a little bit. 
Mental toughness started for me, uh, the importance of it showed up at a pretty, pretty early age when I realized that life wasn't all sunshine and roses. My parents split up for the first time when I was quite young. And you kind of realize like, hey, this isn't in my control. And, and there's kind of a different side to life. I had to grow up, start growing up a little bit early. My parents were kind of together apart, together apart, together apart. When I was a teenager, I contracted this freak rare brain virus that took me out of commission and was undiagnosed for seven months. So I didn't know if I was going to live or die for seven months. Again, am I in control of this situation? What can I control? My mother suffered from mental illness. It got worse and worse and worse over a few years, uh, eventually leading to her taking her own life. There is nothing in the world that prepares you for that or that can prepare you for that. Uh, my father battled addiction and was one version of himself for part of my life, the part that I really looked up to and admired, and then became a very different version of himself later on in life. And with all of these things happening, it became very clear to me at a pretty early age that life's not easy. Maybe it's not supposed to be easy. Like maybe that's the point. And you've got to decide, you've got to make a decision for yourself if this is going to hold you back or not, if this is going to get in your way or not. Are they bumps in the road or are they actual road blocks? Bit by bit, by going through these processes, I've always been a very analytical thinker. I like knowing how things work. I think very kind of in a logical way. Um, I ask a ton of questions. I like figuring things out. I like knowing how the puzzle pieces fit together. And through each one of these experiences, I just kind of kept working on that and kept developing that, understanding how it works and why it's so important to take control of our minds, to be tough, if you will, when life throws you down and kicks you when you're down and, and, and does things like that. And we all have our own version of adversity. We all have our own version of things not going the way we want. We try things, we mess up, we fall down, we get hurt. This really is a decision. Like, am I going to live my 10 or aren't I? And if I am, how am I going to let anything else get in my way? Well, I'm not. That doesn't mean that life doesn't happen. It just means I have to be tough, mentally tough about it and make a decision. I've got to learn how to be resilient. I've got to learn grit and develop my grit. And that's such a huge part of what's so important to what we do so that I can get up, keep going and be better for it. Your story of learning mental toughness from a young age. Wow. And I would ask for you to maybe bring to life an example of mental toughness, leaders that are acting this out in a healthy way among their team, maybe an example to bring this to life of what that looks like in a challenging team dynamic or a challenging situation that's happening at work. One thing that I always admire about uh, the type of leaders that I admire is they're not afraid to make the hard decision and, and do what they believe is right. And I say hard decisions because they're not always easy situations. You're dealing with a lot of people. You're dealing with a lot of personalities. You're dealing with a, a worldwide pandemic affecting your business. You, you know, there's so many variables and you've got to make the decision to do what you believe is right. I believe the leaders who are mentally strong stick to that. They do what they believe is right, even if it's unpopular, but they believe that their responsibility as a leader is to do the right thing. And they do it. They do the right thing for their people. They do the right thing for their mission. And they make those right decisions. But it takes a lot of mental toughness to do that, not just when it's easy and convenient. Anybody can do it when it's easy and convenient. But can you do it when you're being challenged? Can you do it when it's hard? To be mentally tough in those situations, it takes work and it takes commitment and it takes mental toughness. But I just believe it's so important for, for leaders to, to really, truly lead, not just by title, but in practice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And let's talk about emotional intelligence and how do you define emotional intelligence? I really think of it quite simply as being aware 
of your emotions. So we're, we're all human beings. We all have emotions. None of us are robots. So we have emotions. They play a huge role in our lives. Just being aware of our emotions and understanding kind of how they work and why they work the way that they do. And then being able to make decisions about them. So to not let them control our lives, but actually to have some sort of control over them, to be smart about your emotions. How do you think, you know, an emotionally intelligent team, you know, versus one that's not share with us, like how the outcome of, you know, a team that is led by an emotionally intelligence leader and emotional intelligent leader and the team follows suit. How does that elevate just the practice of the day-to-day work environment? Oh, wow. This, this could be a very, very long answer. And I could cover this from so many different angles. So emotionally intelligent leadership is just, is so important. Again, a leader is a human. You can have a title. You can be doing what you've been doing for 20, 30 years. You're still a human being and you still have emotions and you're still going to get frustrated and rattled and sad and angry and go through things in life. So to be aware of that and not let those emotions dictate how you show up and not let them dictate how you make decisions is going to be a huge, huge advantage. I believe that when we're when it comes to decision making, emotions matter, but they matter kind of more like data, like they're information that we consider. So for example, Uh, I'm in this situation, it makes me angry, or I'm in this situation, it makes me sad, or it makes me happy. That's important information to have when you're making a decision. But you don't want to make a decision when you're angry. You don't want to make a decision when you're sad. These are not strong places to make decisions from. The better your decisions are, the, the better your behavior is, the better your results are going to be. So those decisions are so important. Emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent leaders are aware of that. They understand, they see their emotions creeping up. They're allowed to say, okay, I'm going to treat you like data, not let you control my decision-making. I'm going to integrate this into my decision-making to make the best, most informed decision that I can. But again, decision-making is not going to rule my life, or sorry, emotions are not going to rule my life and they're not going to rule my decision-making. And when you do that for yourself, I mean, as an individual, it's, it's so important. But as a leader, when you're influencing so many people and so many people are looking to you to show them the way. For you to be able to maintain that sense of calm control, that calm self-control and that, that calm kind of presence over the situation that really combines well with mental toughness as well, that has a huge impact on your people. They feel that calm. They feel that control. They, they get to be confident that you've got it together. Not perfect, but you've got it together and you're the person to show them the way. You want to build a team that, that, that follows your lead. You want people that look up to you and, and all row in the same direction. Then that's who you want to be. I often say that emotional intelligence is like building a muscle. You know, you you never arrived. You've never mastered it. You have to constantly work on it. And I think in the beginning, it is a big feat for a leader to help change a mindset of an individual to really understand it. And I'm just wondering from you helping people to do this, like to adopt this way of being an emotionally intelligent individual, like what are the keys to get started so that someone does adopt the practice? I like breaking things down into really, really simple, easy to digest parts. And for me, the decision to start becoming emotionally aware, it just made sense. I make better decisions when I am emotionally aware. I make worse decisions when I'm not. And I think if a leader can show anybody, here's this situation where emotions took control And here's the situations where we were more in control of our emotions. It's real easy to see the positive effects of being emotionally aware, emotionally intelligent in our decision-making. 
I think anybody who's kind of a reasonable, open-minded person is going to see that. It's not a hard thing to see. And I think just starting with that really basic, like, it's not about you. It's just about, like, let's look at this situation objectively. I think it's a really good way to start that conversation and, and start moving it in the right direction. And to also ask them, I love asking people, hey, tell me what happens when you're at your best. Explain yourself at your best. And tell me, like, what, what things are like, how you show up when you're at your best. And tell me what you're like when you're at your worst. How are you showing up then? And just having people go through this reflective exercise of recognizing themselves when they're at their best, when they're at their worst, and recognizing these patterns. And a lot of them have to do with how they feel emotionally and how they show up emotionally. It's a great exercise in self-awareness and, and learning to just understand our emotions better. Corey, I love systems. And I know your business model is a lot about teaching. And I'd love to have you break down the key components of living our best self or living at our 10. So I'm thinking like putting these into buckets, if you will. We have uh, six essentials, we call them the essentials for living your 10. And each essential has got a, a whole lot of parts under it. Think of it like a whole bunch of branches of a tree. But those essentials are self-awareness, which we've already started talking about, which is just learning about who you are and what makes you tick and being objective and things like that. Accountability is massive. Taking responsibility, taking ownership, um, as opposed to say, blaming or making excuses or saying poor me or that sort of thing. So being accountable. Vulnerability is huge. Being real, being honest, just being people. We could all use more vulnerability in our life. Optimism. When we think of uh, optimism really is a choice. And when people say to me, oh, I'm, I'm not a pessimist, I'm just a realist. I'd say like, well, real compared to what? Who's deciding what's real and what's not? Uh, so much is possible when you're an optimist. And I'm not talking about blind, la, 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 la kind of optimism, you know, where you're, you're just oblivious to everything else. I'm talking about being objective, seeing the situation and deciding to be an optimist instead of not be an optimist. Purpose is another one of our essentials being purposeful. It doesn't necessarily mean having a single life's purpose, but being purposeful, being intentional in how we think, in how we make our decisions, in how we behave and how we act. And grit, which is something I mentioned before, grit and growth mindset. Knowing that life isn't going to hand it to you, whatever it is that you want. Grit is defined as passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. It's actually been scientifically shown to be the single most significant predictor of success. So how can we develop that grid? So self-awareness, accountability, vulnerability, optimism, purpose, and grit. Those are your six essentials for living your 10. Okay. And I'm curious to know, which one do you get the most pushback on or the most challenged to? And tell us a little bit about that. I actually don't get a lot of challenge on any of it. And and here's the reason. I, I will answer your question, but the reason is they all fit together so nicely. These are not six isolated concepts. They're six pieces of the same puzzle. And all the sub pieces of them are pieces of the same puzzle. So once you see how they work together and complement each other and how powerful they are when they're working together as opposed to isolated concepts, it all just makes sense. And so it's really hard to push back on it. One area where I do see some pushback is, and you get pushback when people get a little uncomfortable or they feel like this is like really affecting them. So a triggering concept or a triggering topic for a lot of people is accountability. Because if you ask people, are you responsible for your life? Do you take accountability for your life? People say, yes, of course I do. Of course I take responsibility for my life. But when you start pointing out all these little areas, all these different pieces of where you may not be taking responsibility, where you not may not be accountable, 
where you might not be taking real ownership of your situation or your life, it can be triggering to people. If we talk, if we ever bring up the term victim mindset, victim mindset can be triggering for people. Now, I will say this, it is, in my experience, one of the most powerful shifts anybody can make from not even being in a victim mindset. I mean, of course, if you're in a victim mindset, but even being kind of like in the middle, scale of one to 10, where are you on that victim mindset of being a one and taking full ownership and full responsibility as a 10? That shifting up that scale just makes such a massive, massive difference in your life. But that can uh, get a little bit of pushback from people who don't want to look in the mirror and say, well, maybe I'm not really taking responsibility. Maybe I am just kind of middle of the roading this. And I would say any concept that, that has the potential to hit home creates the possibility for more pushback. I would love to pick on one of these for just a minute because I'm going to be vulnerable in my practice of sharing that whenever I run across people that have trouble with optimism, so they're the glass half empty type, I get triggered. So I just, and I have found that they're the one type of mindset that I have a challenge even trying to make a difference with because I'm like, we're just so different. And every time I even try, we're butting heads. And so I'd love for you to share, you know, for a leader that has, you know, someone on their team that they're really looking to shift that perspective and really work towards that optimism. How do you do that? Who? All right. Yeah. So I'm with you. It is a, it is a triggering thing, especially for somebody who is optimistic and considers that a part of their identity. For those of us who are optimists, I, we don't just see it as something we like to be. I, I believe that we see it as something that's important to be, to create the, the positive change that we want to create in organizations, in our communities, in the world. We need to be optimistic. We need to believe in what's possible. So when you are dealing with somebody who does not believe in what's possible, they are much less likely to kind of take the steps to create what's possible. Like, why would I do this? Why would I put in the work? It's not even possible. It's like a wasted effort. That's not going to work. No, we shouldn't even try it. Right. So I'm going to give a very kind of general answer here about people fitting into a team and people not fitting into a team. I'm a big believer that, you know, it, let's say we're going to play basketball together and you want to come play basketball with me. If you want to come up and you want to show up and you, and you want to try your hardest, I don't care if you're bad at basketball. Like I'm going to do my best to help you. You're on my team. We're in this together. But if you don't even want to come to the court, if you don't want to put on your shoes, if you don't want to show up and try, then I could put my effort into trying to get you to lace up your shoes, or I could make a decision to put all my effort into the people who are at least showing up for the game. So I think as leaders, we really have to be intentional about understanding who are the right fit people for our team and who maybe aren't. If that is a big sticking point in your team, that you've got a, somebody who's just a, a hard core pessimist and it's affecting your team, I think you know it's worth making a decision about that. That being said, again, I look at optimism as just a logical argument. A good example would be my in-laws. I love my in-laws. They're wonderful people, but they are very like rigid in their thinking about what's possible and what's not. They come from like a small town, blue collar mentality, and they do not think with vision and they do not think with optimism. They think in real practicality. And I just feel like it's a very limited way to think. So what I would do, what I do with them is one, I do just accept that they are the way they are. And I can either love them for who they are, or I can be frustrated that they don't think the same way as I do, which is just a wasted effort. Again, they're just wonderful people and I, and I love them so much. But I do feel that there's a way to just show the logical argument for here's what happens with optimism and here's what happens with pessimism. Here's what we can create when we believe in what's possible. And here's what we don't create, or here's the result when we stick to this, this limited 
mindset or this limited way of thinking. Another thing that we can do is actually connect the dots to show like, here's my big vision and here's how we could get there. Because a lot of people can't understand, they don't see the, the connection between where I am today and this vision of like, say, our company in five or 10 years. So it's hard for them to say, oh, I'm going to get behind that. But if you can actually show them how these pieces fit together and how their contribution as a team member can lead to this outcome, you can inspire them, you can have them be a part of this team. And it's not necessarily a switch to full optimism, but it might be like, okay, you know what, I, I can reserve my judgment on this and just put my best foot forward, put in my effort. So I do believe that there's kind of like a middle ground there as we're kind of converting people into optimism. Absolutely. And I'd love for you to um, talk about the power in building the grit muscle. And when we do that, how that correlates to being able to live your 10 life. Can you bring that to life for us? So again, I can go back to my story and my, my real life story of any one of those situations could have knocked me down and, and kept me out and, and just took me out of commission. And I could have very easily said, it's, I just can't keep going with this one, but that's not who I wanted to be. And that's not the kind of life I want to live. I was just having a conversation with my five-year-old the other day that completely lit me up as a dad. He's learning to play chess. He loves playing chess and him and I play all the time now. And he's a bright kid and he likes figuring things out and he's learning how to play chess and he's getting better. And he's beaten me a couple of times. And I love that. And when I was talking to him about it, I was saying, you know, I, I think that you really enjoy figuring things out and that that's like a fun thing for you. And he said, yeah. And he goes, and I also like losing. I said, what do you mean you like losing? He said, well, when I lose, I learn. And when I learn, I can get better. He's five years old. Uh, so I'm, I'm like, again, this is my boys talking my language here. I, you know, I, I just love it so much. And, and what I said to him was, I love that. And we talked about that for a while. And I also said, okay, I'm going to add something to this. Let's not try to lose though. Let's still try to win. Let's put our best effort into it and try our hardest to win. But I use the example of a professional sports team. So you might have a, like a hockey team plays an 82 game season. The best teams in the league, they don't win every game. They still lose lots of games. They just win more than they lose. And that's what makes them the best. So I said, as long as we're doing things that are challenging and that we're into, we're going to work our hardest. We're going to win sometimes. We're going to lose sometimes. So we're going to try to win. We're also going to take those opportunities when we lose to improve, to learn, to get better. And this is that attitude about grit and growth mindset is that I will maintain that passion for what I want. For my son in this case, like he just wants to be really good at chess. So he's going to maintain that passion. He's going to maintain that, that perseverance. Like I'm going to play dad over and over and over again, and I'm going to lose over and over and over again, but he can feel himself getting better. He can feel himself improving. And I promise you, he's going to be better than me in like a few months. I can just see this happening. He's going to, he's going to just take me to school in, in, in this game of chess. But it is that passion and perseverance for him, this long-term goal. For us in our lives, when we're talking about living your 10, and you mentioned this before, living your, like you were talking about it with emotional awareness, it's not like you get there and you're done. It's like physical fitness. You don't work out, you don't lift weights or do cardio for two weeks and say like, okay, I'm all done. I'm healthy now. It's not a specific destination. It's a direction that we're moving in. Here's who I want to be. Here's the kind of life I want to live. I'm just going to keep working on myself and working on myself and working on myself consistently. Moving in that direction, knowing that, again, doesn't need to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. We love the challenge. We, we thrive on the challenge because it makes us better. And that grit, that continuous passion and perseverance for our very long-term goals, not only is it like an essential muscle to build, but I would say it's a fun one too, because once you learn that this is just life, it's not going to be perfect. It's not supposed to be. 
and you learn how to, like, I'll say this, when I'm in a tough situation right now, and I'm kind of feeling like I hit a dip in the road, as much as I'll, I'll, it's important to just be in that moment and not like fast forward through, but actually experience it. Uh, I also get excited because I know I'm going to be better for this. I know with my attitude and, and the, the tools that I've developed, I know I'm going to come out of this better. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be a better version of myself. So it's not like you avoid these hard times. It's like you just keep moving forward, understanding that hard times and adversity will happen. And, and you almost just uh, embrace them because it's a necessary part of your growth. This conversation is totally illustrating the power of your business because there's so many layers underneath these six essentials that we have to constantly constantly invest in and sharpen. There's all these different layers and then toolbox items. Like I was thinking, okay, underneath grit, the story of your son is a toolbox item of embracing failure. Like that's one way to work towards and sharpen yourself and build that grip muscle, right? Is like to learn how to truly embrace failure. But there's so much underneath that. And so I'm seeing where, you know, the mental gym is just such a very robust opportunity to be able to help us. And we're going to dig into that in just a minute. I know we're running out of time. I want to hit on one more key component of the essentials, and then we'll go into our lightning round. And then we're going to learn a little bit more about you. Vulnerability. I just want to highlight this for a second, because I think, you know, Brene Brown has put that out into the world as like her term. And so many people have caught on to this and made it a priority. And I think it's so important that we're all practicing this. And and one of the greatest things that in my life, when I've practiced vulnerability, I can just feel a bond like with the person, like on my team, just a, a more realness between us, right? And I, and I absolutely love that and cherish it. I'm constant with my practice. But I'm curious in your, you know, shaping out these six essentials, what is your angle for picking vulnerability? And if we practice it, how does that help us get to our 10? I'm just wanting to hear your perspective on that. So you nailed it. Vulnerability is just being real. To me, before I learned to be vulnerable, I knew the importance of honesty. It's so important to be honest, to be honest with others and to be honest with yourself. It's how you build trust in others and in relationships. It's how you build trust in yourself and being who you want to be. So if I'm going to be honest, then it only makes sense that I'm going to be honest about who I am and what I'm dealing with and what I'm struggling with and what I find challenging and who I want to be and what I really want out of life and what I like and what I love and what I don't like. It's just being real and it's just being honest. In fact, in the mental gym, we have rules in our class like guidelines for how we run our classes. And one of them is that we're always honest with each other and with ourselves. Uh, another one is that there's no judgment. And I think one of the challenges with vulnerability is we expect there to be judgment. If I'm real with this person, if I'm open with them, they might judge me. But to your experience, what you realize is not only is does that not happen, but you create this bond, you build that trust, you know that that other person is a real human being dealing with a lot of the same stuff as you are. And it creates this, this incredible bond that you just can't get if you're operating on surface level, kind of just living the Instagram life, right? It's, it's here's the, the, the highlight reel, but none of the blooper reel. And I find it, once you get over that initial hump, of being vulnerable like it. I get it that for for a lot of people if you're not used to being vulnerable it can be intimidating, it can be challenging and you don't want to start. But once you start, and I would say start small. Like start by just sharing one thing that you haven't shared with somebody that you love and you trust. But once you start building that muscle and flexing that muscle, what you realize is life is so much easier when you are vulnerable than when you're trying to maintain an image of yourself 
that you want other people to see or where you're playing a role. I think of it like we're playing a role in a TV show or a movie or something like that. And we do got to keep playing that role. Well, you can do that for two hours. It's exhausting to do that for your whole life. It takes up so much bandwidth. Being vulnerable is just releasing all of that and just saying, I, I don't need to work hard at just being me. I'm just me. And I'm just going to be honest about that. I'm going to be real. And the world could use a whole lot more honesty and a whole lot more real. The reason that that's an essential is because if we're going to grow and we're going to become who we're capable of being, we need to also understand who we are. And we need to be real and honest about that. No judgment. But let's just call it what it is and understand who we want to be and move in that direction. So it makes it easier. It makes it smoother. And it makes it possible. Absolutely. Corey, this has been awesome. And your passion to help people live their tin is truly changing the world. Kudos for taking your story and creating a business that is just really changing the game for so many people. It's awesome. And we'll dig in just a little bit more here in just a minute in the lightning round and then link out some more information on what you do um, every day to change the world uh, in our show notes. So we're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and we'll be right back with our lightning round. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right. We're back on Gut Plus Science with Corey Chadwick. Corey, this has been such a great conversation. I know we just scratched the tip of the iceberg so much more, and we'll have to have you back to you know go even deeper. But we love the lightning round where we get to learn just a little bit more about our guests and your business. And my first question that I'd love to ask that we ask everyone is, what is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? I'll give you one fiction and one nonfiction. So fiction, I, um, I recently read a book called The Three-Body Problem. Really great read if anybody's into science fiction. It's part of a trilogy. It's the first book of the trilogy. Um, I actually just heard that the guys behind Game of Thrones are now turning it into a series. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, The Three Body Problem, really good book. And for nonfiction, uh, there's just so many good ones, but I'll go with Atomic Habits. Today, I'm such a fan of habits. I love that book. James Clear does such a great job of breaking down the understanding of habits and how they work into just super understandable bite-sized parts. And how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? I don't know if it's a hobby. I, I love spending time with my family, with my boys and being a dad, but I would say in the kind of more traditional hobby sense would be golf. I love playing golf. I loved playing it a lot more when I was good. Once my kids uh, were born, I, I uh, golf a lot less and I'm not good anymore, but I really do love getting out there with my family, with friends, and just, just golfing is the best. And how about your favorite vacation spot? My wife and I have been talking a lot about Costa Rica lately. We had a, just our, our recent trip, not recent trip, but a um, little while back went to Costa Rica together and went to just four amazing cities. Love the vibe, love the people, love the mentality. It's such a great different perspective on life from the one that we kind of experience in North American culture. Corey, give us the quick on the mental gym. Just like we work out our bodies, this is a place to work out your mind. The mental gym is a place where members come, it is a membership, members come to work on their minds and work on themselves and grow. We do it for one hour once a week. All of our classes are trainer-led. We have an amazing curriculum that's designed to stretch your thinking, really challenge you to think differently and explore different perspectives, building those habits, that mindset, those essential tools for optimal mental fitness and living your 10. Classes are enjoyable. They're fun. You, you love working on your mind. You love the workout and you love how it changes your life. It's a really great way and great place to work on yourself. 
in a way that just helps you be who you want to be. We never tell you who to be or what to do or how to think. It's just we give you choices. We provide options. You choose the ones that make the most sense for you. And when you do that little bit at a time, one small adjustment, one small tweak, one small improvement at a time, those tweaks, those adjustments, they add up, they add up, they compound, and they change lives in an, in an incredible way. So really proud of the Mental Gym. Love our members. Love seeing how it's impacting their lives, their teams, their families, you name it, their communities. It's fun. And Corey, how can our listeners connect with you after the show? If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, that would be great. I'd love to, uh, to meet you and connect with you, uh, with you there. And you can also contact me through our website if you want, uh, mentalgymlife.com. That's mentalgymlife.com. Click contact. You can send an email and uh, just say it's for Corey and I'll see it. Those are the two best ways to connect with me. And for any individuals or people first organizations, leaders of people first organizations, reach out, say hi. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to talk with you and talk about what mental fitness can do for you and your team. All right. Here's my truth you can act on from my talk with Corey today about living our level 10 life. Oh, I couldn't love this more. Number one, we must work on our mental fitness just as we do our physical fitness. So I just encourage you to reflect on what are you doing to invest in your mental fitness? You know, for my physical fitness, I have time on the calendar and I have activities to do. And now with this, I'm going to be blocking and being much more proactive. So I encourage you to do the same. Number two, mental toughness and emotional intelligence are two crucial learning topics for leaders, all leaders. Prioritize studying and applying principles in these two topic areas. Thank you so much for that. Number three, there are six core essentials for regular practice to live and lead a life of a level 10. So they are self-awareness, accountability, vulnerability, optimism, purpose, and grit. I love this. Enjoyed it so much. Thanks, Corey. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.